It's the end of December, and we are slowly winding down the year 2021 and season two of the show. But we can't wind things down before we recap it, because that's how this stuff works, yo. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. This penultimate episode of season two of the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd. It's December, so things are getting a little weird. This week, we have the Doubting Thomas monthly recap. But Adam, you're thinking, the Doubting Thomas monthly recap should come in January. It's not part of a regular episode, and yeah... I know, but this is a weird month. We'll go over all this later, but Christmas is coming up this month, and I'm going on vacation, and it's my birthday, and I won't have reliable Wi-Fi on my vacation, so that all adds up to another short hiatus for the show. But before we get there, we've got a Doubting Thomas monthly recap to do, and a Doubting Thomas yearly recap coming up next week. After that, take a couple weeks off to recharge the batteries... We're back at it. So this week, Cliff and I recap the month that was both weeks. Plus, we've got one last Tech Yeah item for you, which is a practical item, but there's honestly not a lot to it. But it's handy, so I'm going to tell you about it. And we will get to all of that. But first, for one last time in 2021, we have to get to the news of the week. News, one of the leading sources in podcast news, and side note, if you didn't know you needed a leading source in podcast news, you do, and this is it. Anyway, Pod News took a moment to step back and point out that while Spotify has spent the last two years signing celebrities and announcing podcasts, none of them have, you know actually happened yet and just what the heck now to be fair the oldest signing that pod news references is a dc entertainment from june of 2020 and also from june 2020 kim kardashian signed a deal and in march of this year hinted that episodes were ready to drop which begs the question where are they well in the case of the warner brothers in dc i'm not surprised a narrative podcast is hard to do since it has to be cast and scripted and produced and sound edited and i can easily see that taking over a year that is not a small job so in the case of dc i get it it takes time in the case of kim kardashian <laughs> who cares? But no, seriously, who cares? Now, it's pretty clear what's going on here. Spotify is signing and announcing like crazy to get people over to the platform. And it's working. Spotify is slowly overtaking other platforms as the predominant podcast platforms say that five times real fast. And it's even upsetting stalwarts like iTunes, and I can't say I'm entirely upset about that. Meanwhile, for these new shows, I think we're in hurry-up-and-wait mode, or in my case, more like hurry-up-and-meh. Next week is the Benefit of a Doubt yearly recap in which we look back at some of the major things that happened over 2021, but other outlets are coming out with their own recaps, including a recap from Gizmodo looking back at the weirdness that was space this year. Specifically, the ISS accidentally flipped backwards 540 degrees as in a full rotation, then another 180 degrees just for kicks. A Chinese rocket fell uncontrolled from space and many people wondered if they were about to need a new garage. Branson and Bezos had a space stick measuring contest. And meanwhile, Elon Musk put four people in orbit for three days with a leaky toilet. So yeah, 
that's only f like four of the 15 things in the slideshow, so you should definitely go check it out. And while not a weird entry, we need to give some recognition to Ingenuity and Perseverance's landings on Mars, making oxygen on Mars for the first time, and the first drone flight on Mars. There was a lot of weird and a lot of cool happening in space this year, and I'm quite happy with it being the space nerd that I am. There's a lot of stuff going on on this planet for sure, which I'd argue is all the more reason to keep looking for ways the hell off this rock. Just saying. When AirTags first hit the scene, some people noted that they only worked with iPhones and humans being the humans they are, didn't take long to figure out that if they planted an AirTag on an Android user, they could totally stalk that user quite easily. Very on brand for humanity, and thanks for that. So Apple promised to make an Android app that would allow people to scan for AirTags that were not with their owners, and now they have. The Android app came out this week, and as with most things Android developed by Apple, it's not awesome. There's a single button that allows you to scan for nearby orphaned air tags. Orphaned air tags are tags that have been away from their owner for 15 minutes or more. It's a one-time scan that takes about 30 seconds and tells you if anything is around. It's active scanning only. There's no passive scanning, which I think is actually kind of okay. I'm not sure people need this thing running 24-7 after all. Then again, I've never been stalked before, so it's kind of hard to get a reading on that state of mind. Passive scanning would be nice, and who knows, maybe Apple will add that sometime in the future. More likely, though, Apple will do the absolute bare minimum it has to do to not get sued, and then forget the thing even exists, because, well, it's Apple. This week, Google announced that all employees who refused the vaccination against COVID-19 would be put on leave, leading up to possible termination. Good. Okay, okay, I can't just leave it at that. There's more to the story. Google is not unsympathetic to those who have a medical or a religious reason as to why they would not get the vaccine, and they'll be addressing those who apply for an exception on a case-by-case -case basis. However, as of January 18th, any employees who remain unvaccinated will be placed on administrative leave for 30 days with pay. After that, Google will place employees on unpaid leave for up to six months before ultimately ultimately terminating those employees. And, okay, I'm not sure there's more that I could say on this subject than I already have. I'm vaccinated, as is everyone in my family. A vaccine is one of the tools that we use to combat this virus and put it in the rearview mirror. Google clearly feels the best way to combat the virus is to ensure that every employee is vaccinated, and I support Google for supporting that. If you're listening to this podcast... I hope you are vaccinated. I'm convinced the vaccine is why my wife and I are not dead right now. We both have medical complications that make us particularly vulnerable to this virus. So, yeah, we did get breakthrough infections, but we survived them. And my poor wife still can't smell anything. Which, considering my teenage son, is ultimately probably a good thing. But, yeah, we're just going to go ahead and move on from this topic. This week saw the reveal of the Log4 Shell zero-day exploit, and pretty much everyone is saying that this is a bad, bad, bad one. I'm just not entirely sure why. So here's the thing. The Log4 Shell bug doesn't really affect end users, like at all directly. This is more of a server exploit where someone can send a command to vulnerable servers and get that server to execute commands remotely. Commands like 
export all your user data to this file on this outside server. And the vulnerable server is going to be like, sure, no problem. Got it. Coming right up. Ours compares this to an exploit that led to the Equifax breach from 2017 that exposed user data of 134 million people in the U.S. And yeah, you were probably one of them, statistically speaking, that is. So really, there's not a lot that you and I can do about this, unless, of course, you are a network manager, in which case, I hope you're already on top of this. But for the rest of us, just strap on the helmet, give that chin strap an extra tug, and hang on, because this might get rough. If you have any wood near you, start knocking on it. Time Magazine named its Person of the Year as Elon Musk, and... Yeah, that's a choice. But the choice hasn't been without its criticisms. Many point to Elon's attitude towards taxes and his, you know, lack of paying them, or unions and his tendency to threaten them, or his downplaying of the COVID-19 virus in general. You know, the whole opening his factory despite a countywide shutdown. You know, that kind of downplaying. Overall, some of what he does is questionable, or as his lawyers put it, maddening. God damn it, Elon. So there's definitely room for criticism. He's something of a visionary who is incredibly smart and talented. There is no doubt there. Now, some critics include a whole slew of politicians, but one tweet in particular stands out from author Kurt Eichenwald, who said, quote, I held back on saying much about time selecting Elon Musk as person of the year until I read their reasoning. In a year where the developers of mRNA vaccines have saved millions and helped restore global economies, the selection of Musk this year may be the worst choice ever. And those are all fair points, but really... Worst choice ever? Really, Kurt? Stalin was the person of the year twice. Hitler was the person of the year. Worst choice ever? Seems a bit much. A bad choice? Maybe. Worst choice of the century? Probably. But worst choice ever? Certainly not. The Oppo Find N is the latest foldable to come out, and... It's nice to see OnePlus getting into the foldable game. I'm sorry, did I say OnePlus? I meant OnePlus. I mean, I meant Oppo, which is basically OnePlus squared. Anyway, the Oppo Find N came out this week, and it has a lot going for it. First of all, the cover screen is actually phone size. No longer do we have the 87 by 9 aspect ratio, or whatever the cover on the Fold 3 is. This is a normal 18 by 9 aspect ratio on the cover screen. The inside screen is a lot smaller, a 7.1 inch screen as opposed to 7.6, which doesn't sound like it, but it's actually a lot smaller. So while the inside screen doesn't really meet the tablet size you'd want, Neither does the one on the Z Fold 3, for that matter. So, everything's looking pretty good in that regard. The pricing is still in question. Oh, and the fact that it'll never see real estate outside of China. But I have hopes, not particularly high hopes, but I have hopes that maybe OnePlus will enter the fray eventually. At the very least, this is another entrant into the foldable space, which should help advance the category. Maybe Samsung will look at this and see how ridiculous their cover screen is and adapt. Again, not high hopes, but we can still hope. And finally, we have a disturbing story to close out the year. A Chinese man stole about $24,000 from his girlfriend by... <laughs> lifting her eyelids while she slept 
to full facial recognition on Alipay. She wasn't feeling well at the time, and he had given her cold medicine, so yeah, she was pretty darn out of it. She woke up the next morning and found the financial records, and yeah, she called the cops real fast. Now, fast forward to today, and the man has been sentenced to 3.5 years in prison, which is Chinese prison, by the way, so it ain't no country club, and fined about $3,000 for the crime, and... I guess that's really all there is to the story. It's messed up for sure, and needless to say, she is now his ex-girlfriend, very much his ex-girlfriend. But if this doesn't at least give you a little bit of pause about using and relying on biometric authentication, then I don't know what will. Clearly, clearly this is an extreme case, but even so, it's more than a little messed up. So if there's one final message I want to send you away with from our final news story of the year, it's that you absolutely better trust who you fall asleep around, and if you don't, you should definitely set up a pin. Back in application, API. Bugs, attachment, DevOps, backend, frameworks, backward, component, oriented, natural language, biz software, blue text editor, bookmark, Boolean web server. Welcome to Tech Yeah! This week for Tech Yeah, I've got a very simple device that you may have a need for. These days, with disappearing ports on most portable computers and even iPads, Pluggable has a nifty little cable for you that allows you to plug in a second monitor into your iPad or laptop even though there's no HDMI port. Put simply, it's the pluggable USB-C to HDMI cable, which does exactly what it sounds like it'll do. It plugs into the USB-C port of your iPad or laptop and plugs into your monitor using HDMI. It has HDMI 2.0 bandwidth support and is capable of pushing 4K at 60Hz. It'll also work at lower resolutions, of course, but the main idea here is you use a single cable without an adapter or a plug to get an external monitor. I picked up this cable so I could add a second monitor to my laptop for a total of three, and yes, that's a ridiculous amount of screen space, but I've gotten used to it and I'm not sure I could go back at this point, to be honest. The actual cable I got is out of stock, but I'll link to it at benefitofadoubt.com anyway in case it comes back in stock. I've also linked to a pretty typical USB-C to HDMI dongle that'll do the same job, but... You know, just in case this doesn't come back. But either way, check out the links on benefitofadow.com, and if you pick one up for your multi-monitor setup, you'll be helping out the show, and you'll have my thanks. But for now, let's get back to the show. The following is a special presentation of the Benefit of the Dow podcast. From Chicago, it's the Doubting Thomas Podcast with Clifton Thomas and your host, Adam Dowd. Hello and 
welcome to the Doubting Thomas Monthly Recap. What? Doubting Thomas? How can it be the Doubting Thomas Monthly Recap when it's at the end of a normal episode? Well, that, dear listener, is because it's December, and December is a messed up month when it comes to technology. So we are wrapping up the month, even though we're barely just over halfway through it, because we are also going to be soon wrapping up Season 2 of the Benefit of the Doubt podcast. But since this is a Doubting Thomas Monthly Recap, that must mean I have the time to my doubting so let's welcome cliff thomas cliff how you doing this evening listen i'm just saying i don't want any spoilers for how season two ends because (laughs) i've been watching all this time i'm really invested (laughs) the butler did it anyway (laughs) so um so no uh this is uh the doubting thomas monthly recap but this is not being released as a doubting thomas monthly recap because Due to circumstances that were totally inside my control, I'm going to be going on vacation at the end of this month right after the Christmas holiday. So that means that we're not going to have normal episodes like from now on. That isn't to say that there won't be any podcast episodes because there will be one, which will be the Doubting Thomas yearly recap with a special guest that you're just going to have to tune in to find out. So, uh, Just to recap, no pun intended, here's what's going to be happening for the rest of the month. This is the Doubting Thomas Monthly Recap. This is going to be dropped along with a normal episode on the 19th uh, 19th or 18th, whatever the Sunday is. And this is going to be the top story of that particular episode. So you'll have news, then you're listening to this. That's how that works. And then next week on December 26th, which is the day after Christmas, which I celebrate, maybe you don't, and that's fine, no judging. But on December 26th, we are going to drop the Doubting Thomas yearly recap with the um, soon-to-be-named special guest. And by soon-to-be-named, I mean when you tune into the show that's when you'll know what it is so you're gonna get a normal release schedule of the i believe it's the 19th and then the 26th there won't be anything on the first because i will be in the middle of disney at that point um but then we'll come back probably the following week or possibly the week after it depends on how much ces kills me regardless (laughs) there's going to be a break um between season two and what will be dubbed season three so that's what's happening, and you're going to like it. <laughs> so that's kind of where we are. The special guest is Santa, isn't it? It is. It is. It's I Santa. knew it. Directly from there, the North Pole. There's, there's, a, there's a, um, a video on TikTok of like this uh, guy walking around with a, b- a bunch of cats wa- walking around by his feet. And they're like, you know, they're making meow noises, but he's overdubbing. So it's like, hey, guys, um, what should we do? We're excited for Santa. <laughs> and like every time they would meow, he would like say Santa. <laughs> it's it funny. I have, so, I have anyway. not seen uh, that, that particular video, but I do get videos like that from my wife all the time. So if yeah. I haven't seen it yet, I definitely will. <laughs> like the next week, I'm yeah. pretty sure. So anyway, this is the monthly to- uh, the monthly Thomas doubting Thomas monthly recap. And since we've only had two weeks of this month so far, we only have two things to cover in the doubting Thomas monthly recap. So we're going to start covering them, starting with our interview with David Ruddock, who was back a mere six months after his last appearance to talk about his new job at 
Esper. So um, the reason I wanted to have him on was David Ruddock went to this, this, it's basically like a B2B company. It's a software as a service company. Esper builds their own like version of Android that allows them to like MDM the crap out of like uh, tablets and stuff like that. And the main reason I wanted to talk to David was because not only did Esper hire David Ruddock, former editor in chief of Android Police, but David then turned around and hired Mich uh, Michelle Rahman and Cam Summerson, both editors in chief of XDA forums and um, Review Geek, respectively. And I wanted to find out what story did they have to tell that they needed three former editors-in-chief to tell it. So I thought, th I mean, that's the reason he was on. And as it turns out, it was a, it was a fairly interesting story. I was, I, I saw all of this happen in real time. All, all of these, these uh, different editors-in-chief uh, essentially resign put their resignations or let you know letting everybody know on twitter that they were leaving yeah. their respective um media hashtag personal news right exactly and with you know uh news of, of where they're going to come later and then it all turned out to be the same place and you know it's mm -hmm. it's not it's not abnormal for i think people in in journalism tech journalism to to switch roles and, and, and places and, and move around. But yeah, that was a, that was a little bit of a surprise. And so I was actually really curious uh, to find out uh, what Esper was all about. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, as it turns out, the hirings were very targeted as David, David explained, you know, Michelle is great at like really digging inside like Android releases and software update, you know, coming from XDA forums, that's kind of their brand. Right. Um, but like really digging down deep inside and like not only seeing like what's there, but like hints at what's coming and, you know, stuff like that. And then Cameron um, in from a review geeks standpoint, he he's good at, you know, he's not only has he been part of the Android community for, you know, he was originally part of Android Police back in, like, 2015, I think mm -hmm. it was. But, like, ever since then, like, he's a pixel, uh, he's a pixel hound. So he, like, you know, always gets the latest pixels. So he's all about the Android experience. And he's just a damn good writer. And so, you know, bringing those two um, areas of expertise together and under one umbrella is a really important component of Esper telling their story. Absolutely. And it, I, I think... When you're working in one space for a long time, too, I, I know that that Cam had had left Android Police and, and at Review Geeks, they cover more than just phones and the like. But you know, especially yeah. if you're David Ruddock and you've been the editor in chief of, of one place for a long time, and while the technology does change, sometimes it's nice to you know step. What's really funny is you know. <laughs> He he steps away from Android Police and then goes to a place that is <laughs> that's mostly Android as far as the the right. basis of it. Meanwhile, I think he he is sort of a I I don't know if it's a, just wanting to you know swim around and, and check out the waters you know or check out what's on the other side of the fence so to speak. But I think he's yeah. gone pretty much all Apple. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Now that you mention it, because he he did pick up the iPhone Mini. I think the iPhone 12 uh -huh. Mini. I don't know if he got the 13 Mini or not. But uh, yeah, and he was on a MacBook when we talked, and so I'm sure he had an iPad laying around because mm -hmm. if you have a tablet, it should be an iPad. Uh, but that's a that's a not unpopular opinion on this podcast. But I would say um, that's true. 
But yeah, so like the three of them are getting together to tell the story of this company. And, and, you know, again, what the company does is they take their own kind of fork flavor of Android, if you will, and they put it onto these like business tablets. And what, you know, I think the way David described it was like single use tablets, right? which is to say you're only ever going to use this tablet to check in at a restaurant or pull up a map of a mall or, you know, show advertisements on the, in the back of a lift or something like that. Right. You know, it's basically, it's not meant to play angry birds and be a calendar and, you know, Google drive. It's just meant to do this one thing. And Esper makes it easy to not only allow a tablet to do that one thing, but also like push updates incrementally and, um, What's the word where you get where you really drill down and Delta? Um, no. Delta updates? Oh, okay, um, um, so yeah, it, it's it's you can get like really really finely detailed, and you like you can push it to unit number zero zero five one, but not zero zero five two. But also you can push it to zero zero five three right. if you want to. I mean, so it's very individualized and. That's important. I mean, because when you have like an enterprise level application that you want to update, you know, like he was saying, like, you know, the current build is, you know, you push it out to all these guys and you pray that like of the 700 tablets that you're pushing this update out to, you know, you pray that 500 of them install it successfully. And then the other 200, you have to like troubleshoot and do like, really icky things like so, trying to yeah so is it is it their own fork of android or is or is it just their software as an application on top of like vanilla android i don't believe we ever made that really 100 percent clear um i want to say it's probably their own build of android with some mdm components built in like a mobile device management components right. built in and actually interestingly enough for Digital Trends, I just got done reviewing, and this is a tangent, but it's a slightly related tangent. I just got done reviewing a mobile wireless provider, like an MVNO called Trumi, who built their own what amounts to an MDM into like custom Android builds uh, for the Samsung Galaxy A21 and I believe the Samsung Galaxy A31. It's like two different phones and they custom built the software for those two specific phones. And, you know, with that, the parents can control like what apps are able to be installed and stuff like that. So it's a similar, similar theory. I think my brother actually bought that for his daughter or something similar to that effect. Uh, it's, really? It's like, it's like a first kind of phone for them. I, and this was actually a blue device. Uh, so it might, it might be a different, but the, it's but the, I, one. but the idea is very similar. But uh, what's funny is I had my daughter use this true phone for an hour. I paid her. I, I paid her in dairy queen to use the phone for an hour. And she came away calling it the punishment phone. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I know. Like, yeah, I know my brother's daughter absolutely hates hers as well. Not not only I mean I don't want to you know disparage blue devices, but it's just it's a very low end even for uh, a blue device. Then on top of that, it's locked right. down, and on top of that, you don't have a great experience with the camera and stuff like that. So, but yeah, right. but, but that is interesting. I think that's you know, and that is one of one of the advantages of Android uh, is that you can put those custom software uh, 
applications on on top of it and and, and you know remote management and you can actually build mm-hmm. into it individually instead of relying on you know whatever uh Google's business side services are and things like that so and yeah. and Android tablets are just a commodity <laughs> I mean right cheapest right. chips if you if you if you buy them in bulk especially which I'm sure that they are for these kind of app, you know for for what the service since they're doing business to business kind of stuff so yeah yeah but I mean but it's certainly um you know that's one of Android's strength is that you can use it for this type of application and you can basically make it into whatever you want and that's what Esper is doing and it's it, you know I can I can see why David's excited about it it's not for me I don't think <laughs> but uh, you know, I can see like you know, I could see why David would be excited about going to work for a company like this, though, because you know it's a startup, and so you know it's exciting, and you know job titles don't mean anything, um, but also you know you get to really you get to use this operating system that you really enjoy in such a fun and you know kind of creative way, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And telling that story is a creative endeavor. All of its own. So, well, I, David is very polished in the way he presents himself, no matter what he's talking about. Too, he he is. He's he's he good is. at selling you. That's that is for sure. Yeah, and speaking of telling stories, our second episode for this week, or for this month rather, was I was I was actually really excited about about sitting down to talk to this this gentleman because uh, Lawrence Maroney is uh, an AI evangelist at Google. So basically, he's kind of like, you know, and, and Cliff, I know you've had friends that are like developer relations, basically. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like that, but for AI. Right. So like, you know, so like a whole new level of nerd, which is which is pretty <laughs> cool. But as it turns out, speaking of nerd and, you know, waving your nerd flag, he is a Stargate nerd just like oh, me. Two peas in a pod like, right there. Oh man. And I'll tell you like, you know, Stargate is greater than Star Star Trek is greater than Star Wars in my world. So I know you don't agree, but whatever. Nobody <laughs> agrees with me. But like Stargate is like my it, Stargate is my jam. And so just the fact that we were able to connect on that level, but like more so the main reason why I wanted to talk to him was not because of the Stargate stuff, but it was more about using Stargate to tell the story of AI. Right. Um, Because, you know, essentially what they were doing was they were writing brand new scripts for Stargate using AI and and what they would do, or an AI model. Using using Stargate to tell the, or using Stargate to tell the story of AI telling the story of Stargate. Right, exactly. It's very meta. Um, But so, like, but the cool thing was, is like this demonstration of this AI showed what AI is capable of, what it's not capable of, what its limitations are, what its possibilities are. And it's all framed within this reference of like a TV show that, you know, millions of people love. And even if you don't love Stargate, totally get that. I don't, you know, I'm not going to judge you, even though you're wrong. But even if you don't like Stargate, like just what this AI was able to do is a good demonstration of what AI is capable of, of, of these days, which I thought was just a fascinating story to tell. And the fact that it was about Stargate, if this had been about Babylon five, I would have been 
just as interested in it because you know even though I don't necessarily like Babylon Five, um, but like it just the fact that <laughs> that you would have been use... so obscure if they had done Babylon Five, <laughs> right? But you know just the fact that they could use AI to tell this story, I just thought was really really fascinating. It was really interesting, and, and I, I think actually Stargate has more to work with in terms of character development and and scripts. Uh, mm-hmm. then as, as, as much or more than most sci-fi shows that are out there, because, you know, as an example, Star Trek has been around since the sixties in one form or another, but that's the thing Yeah, in one form or another, but Stargate right. was, it was an arc, right? So even when you were watching, uh, the next series, I th- it was still tied in, right? And I, did, did they have some of the recurring right. characters c- come from one to the yep. other? So there you go. Yeah. They had like, they had like Four characters, I believe, that appeared in all three all three shows. So, and just for the uninitiated, there was Stargate SG One, which was the mm-hmm. original show, ran for ten seasons. There was Stargate Atlantis, which was the spinoff from that, which ran for five seasons, and then Stargate Universe, which was kind of its own thing. It didn't really spin off of the other two, but still had recurring characters from the first two right. shows that appeared in Stargate Universe. So, and you know, one of the you know some of the challenges that they faced was you know they didn't have the entire cast of stargate to call upon they only had these four characters and the characters were two characters from stargate sg1 and two characters from stargate atlantis and two of the characters um uh uh, daniel jackson who was played by michael shanks and dr kettler who was played by jewel state had never interacted with each other on the show ever And so, like, there were some major limitations there. Like, um, he was saying, Maroney was saying that uh, Richard Dean Anderson, who played um, uh, General O'Neill, two L's, um, was uh, had the most lines of the entire series. So there's there's a story behind the two L's. If I can tell you off the air or something, I won't bore you with it now. Um, but uh, but yeah, so like he had the most lines, but they didn't have Richard Dean Anderson to right. do this table read. So um, but uh, so it was just it was really cool to see like and, you know, he was also explaining how like scripts are written in um, location, action and dialogue. So there's like a location, interior gate room, there's action, the Stargate opens, and then there's dialogue. Samantha Carter says, this doesn't make any sense. And to the four people that listening to this episode right now that that understood that joke, you're nodding right now and laughing, and I appreciate the hell out of you. Anyway, so there's those three different things. So in order to write a script, you need an AI to generate those three different things from previous scripts and like so when you have 17 seasons of scripts to feed into this machine learning model then you're going to get you have a ton of data to work with but even so 17 seasons from a machine learning standpoint is not a whole hell of a lot you know they he was saying that samantha carter it was like nine thousand um, words car- that they had to work with right yeah like eight thousand words like total words that she said mm-hmm. like during the entire 8,000 words is not a whole hell of a lot, you know? It's not. It's, and so it's not like uh, and machine learning is different if you're talking about something like Google Photos. But imagine the wealth yeah. of information that Google has to work with there versus this, this really limited set of uh, variables with the script that they have. Yeah, it's, I'm really curious mm-hmm. to see what, 
what the or listen to what the end result was. Uh, as far as the script, was it humorous and a, like badly humorous, or it was terribly humorous? <laughs> so, like, you know what? Maybe, um, you know, I'll, I will reach out to the people at the Companion and ask them if they would mind if I put in just a little bit of a dialogue that was in there because, like, some of it was absolutely hilarious. And like, and and what's funny is like as actors. They had to sell it, you right, know, even right. if even though what they were saying was not really nonsense, but it didn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense, like in context. So um, and what I can do is there will be a link in the show notes of this episode. I did find and I referenced this. I don't know if this made it into the cut version, but in the full version, I referenced that there was another movie that I found that was written by AI, but. But Lawrence Maroney was not involved with it. It was a separate project. And so I found that. So I can put a link into that so that you can kind of get a sense as to, you know, what was going on there. Oh, I can ima- um, I can imagine. <laughs> so let me let me talk to the I'm going to talk to the companion yeah, people and idea. see if I can put in like a clip, like a 30 second clip of like some of the dialogue. Um but because they they generously let me use the um, some of the advertising graphics for the blog post that I put and the and the newsletter that I sent out, by the way, um, go to getreview.com slash benefit of a doubt um, or what is it like bit.ly slash BOTD news. Yeah, go to that and sign up for the newsletter so you can get the show notes delivered straight to your inbox. Anyway, that that advertisement's over. But anyway, um, so they let me use that for like the graphic for the um, for the blog post. So I'll have to see if maybe they'll let me use some of the stuff. And if so, I will insert it right here. Interior Atlantis Corridor. Daniel and Carter look out the window at San Francisco Bay. Look, the point is, we, we don't know if the Russians are still out there. What? Well, we have a few friends of them. I have enough anesthetic to fight. McKay and Keller exchange looks. If I really have to find out why we stopped? Yeah, well, it, it's not showing me the alien. I mean, the ancients were originally aware of any other science project. The lights go out. Well, I think we should explain to them that Theo downloads the exact design of fishes. Well, with respect, this maps to the galaxy with primality to the eradication. No. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Come on. Come. What? Okay, well, I appreciate you telling me. How? I'm sorry, but we're dealing with two beings within a small and experimental field. We should rest. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was, it was just a really, it was a really cool conversation because like AI is one of those things that I don't think people like people kind of get, but I don't think they really, really get it, you know? And, and that's fine. Like it's, it's a very difficult concept to grab, to grasp. So like by putting it in this context, it made it a little bit easier to understand not only its capabilities, but also its limitations. Right. Which yeah, it's AI is definitely more of a a twenty 2020, twenty 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 one maybe twenty nineteen buzzword than I think something that people really have a, a reference for in terms of uh, something that as as accessible as your favorite TV show. So yeah, that is interesting just to see it. Yeah. Down that way. Mm-hmm. 
And um, and you know it was really cool. And 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 kudos to Brad Wright, who was the executive producer of like all the Stargate series, is for coming up with the idea in the first place, uh, because it was his idea to have like AI generated scripts created so that they could the idea was they wanted to get the cast together to do a table read because that's like a nostalgia play right but they needed something to read and like um you know you couldn't use any old scripts because that's the property of mgm you couldn't use any new scripts because they are also the property of mgm (laughs) but they're also not published so like you know there's there's a whole batter there's a whole bag full of issues there um, and so then, um, yeah, I thought, so they, so that that's when they came up with this. I thought it was interesting that, uh, Mulroney also said he had worked with, uh, the producers before and with start or with Stargate before. And I, and I, he did, had. I had, I didn't catch exactly in what context or, or how, but that that's interesting. That's because I didn't bring it up. Um, <laughs> but I can tell you the story now. Okay. Um, no, th- the reason I didn't bring it up was because uh, Lawrence uh, is also a published author. He's ah. written several. He's written several books. In addition, he's written a few comic books, which was kind of cool. one of the comic books was actually a prequel to the movie Equilibrium. Have you ever seen that movie with um, with uh, Batman? One of the Batman. Um, Jason. <laughs> no, Jason Bateman. No, no, not Jason Bateman. I know you're um, talking about from from. Uh... Dark Knight, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises, and yes, from the good Batman. Yes, movies. exactly. Um, so the early, the early two anyway. thousands Batman, Batman. Yeah. So and and by the way, just side note: last weekend or two weekends ago, I watched all the Batman's from the Dark Knight trilogy. So and good. Can we just put Christopher Nolan in charge of the DCU from yes. now on? Because honestly, like, you want to know why it's not working? It's not working because you reboot the damn thing every five years. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, but like, no, his his movies were so good. So good. Like, so good. Except for losing Katie Holmes. Like, that replacement did not work. Um, no. But anyway. Uh, with uh, uh, with yeah. uh, uh, the sister Maggie of... Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Mag- yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal. That was a that was a stunning trans- transformation. Anyway, that's a different conversation. Um, what was I saying? Oh, so like, so he wrote a comic book which was a prequel to the movie Equilibrium. And if you haven't seen Equilibrium, great movie, go watch it. Um, but uh, so, but he had also written a he had also was under contract to write several like a six comic book arc of a I think it was either like a prequel to Stargate Universe or it was a sequel or something it was something related I think it was the transition between Atlantis to Stargate Universe um which I call Stargate Voyager because it was like a bunch of people trying to get home anyway um so he wrote like a six book arc for that but like ended up kind of getting screwed over because of it (laughs) like by the comic book company who like kind of gave up on the project and like ended up paying them like a stupidly low amount of money for like all the work that he did so i didn't bring that up because i was a little bit of a sore spot yeah (laughs) i was i was sensitive that he blogged about it so um but uh and we talked about a little bit off air but uh but yeah so he had worked with brad wright before that's how they like kind of knew each other and so when he mentioned this idea of doing like an ai he's like hey that's my job i can do that and you know the rest as they say is 
is history. So, See, there, it just goes to show you. It's 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 who you know. Sometimes you know, you never know yeah. when those when those contacts are, are going to uh, bring something to fruition. So even though the first mm-hmm. part didn't work out well, there you go. And I think like, and, and I'm going to wrap it up with, with this particular point, because we're going a little bit over time anyway, but you know, what, um, what it ended up happening was, you know, this experiment kind of proved that while AI is not capable of completely replacing like a human's job, there are certain things that it is capable of doing, um, he, he brought up the example of David Hewlett, who played Dr. Rodney, Rodney McKay. He was all he was all like really geeked about this project. And then like when the script started spitting out this like gibberish, he's just like, oh, well, that's kind of like not, you know, not as good as I was expecting it to be. But then like once once Lawrence shepherded shepherded him through what was it? The trough of disillusionment, I believe it was what it was called. <laughs> and uh, until he got back to the plateau of. Shoot, I forget what it was called. The Plateau of Possibility or something like that. Basically, he pushed David Hewlett to a point where David Hewlett started to think, well, maybe this AI or maybe a similar AI could generate like a script that as an actor I could read during an audition that would make, you know, that the producers would recognize as like similar to their work and stuff like that. So like it wouldn't necessarily have to make sense in the context of the whole show but at least it might have that tone and so like that's 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 where ai can get you is you know you can generate basically new content that sounds similar to what you're looking for it just won't be as good as if brad wright had sat down and written an episode i it's just the the more ai is able to um, get context with things. I think. I think the more remarkable the stuff that it produces is is going to be. I'm just amazed with some of the stuff that it can do now with, with uh, mm-hmm. natural language and things like that. So, I, yeah, it's it's an exciting, if not scary, future. Just as an aside, I, I uh, watched uh, a feature from The Verge on um, virtual identities. Like, like it has it has to do with like. Uh, I think it was Keanu Reeves got his entire body scanned uh, when, and, and it was just it's that it, data was sitting around in uh, a vault somewhere, and they and they use it for <laughs> the Unreal Five engine to to render the younger Keanu for the technology. Oh, for the demo- cyberpunk. For yeah, for for for, cyber- for Unreal for the Unreal Five Matrix. Uh, I forget what the revelations. Matrix no? revolution. Re- 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 no, resurrection. Resur- yeah. Uh, technology demo that they have for uh, consoles, and oh, but, it, okay. it, but it goes to talk about things like your digital identity. What if you pass away, and then someone wants to use your your visual identity as a, as a digital actor? How can like, you prov- how can you control that? How can you you know your ancestors make revenue from that, or you know say no to certain things? It's it, it's like a whole. Yeah. Frontier like because General Tarkin in uh, Rogue One, right? Exactly. Yeah, like you know, they had the guy and they had a like a body double stand in there, and they just digitally overlaid his face. And what were we watching, man? I was just watching something where like there was some. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, never mind. I can't talk about that. No, yeah. because it's a it's a it's a spoiler for a major movie. So I'm ah, not going. I to see. 
Well, then, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to talk. But let, let's just say that um, digital representation of a deceased person was present, and it was awesome. Anyway, <laughs> so um, so yeah. you so so if you combine being able to use somebody uh, who has who is now deceased, use or even somebody maybe who just doesn't work in anymore, but they were part of a, a beloved cast or something. If you have that as like one component, and then you have something like, uh, let's just say, uh, the the screenwriters guild strikes, yeah, and then the screen actors guild strikes, you know that's the reason we uh, from from twenty plus years ago that that uh, we now have um, reality TV as it exists today. Well, now they yeah. can just technically. <laughs> You can just have well, AI write scripts and, and have digital characters. And I mean, at what point do we get to where we don't actually have like paid actors for for uh, on screen anymore? Like, I don't know. Well, or not vo- only that, or but voice I mean, acting like, even. I, I hate to go off on this tangent because this could take us a long time to talk about, but there are companies right now that are using AI and machine learning to perpetuate people who have passed on and like continue tweeting as those people or continue speaking as those people. Like they're taking samples of people's voices and like their texts and their Facebook posts and their Twitter posts and basically anything that's been made public and like feeding it all into this machine learning so that you can bring back your aunt Esther and like have conversations with her in real time. And like, and and one of the things that's stopping that from being a major thing right now is the same limitations that Lawrence Baroni ran into right. while creating these scripts is, you know, you've got, you know, a whole basket full of, like, you know, troubleshooting that you have to do just to get this stuff even close. And, you know, like he was saying it took months to, you know, troubleshoot and debug this stuff so that it would spit out the proper stuff. And they're not even done. Like, they're going to continue doing this project and, like, they're going to keep working with it and seeing if they can massage, you know, a little bit more out of it. And it's... I'm I'm fascinated to see where it goes. Like, a year from now, we may talk to them again and and see what's going on because, like, I want to... I definitely want to keep this as, like, an active relationship um, because he's just a great guy to talk to um, and uh, fascinating character, fascinating work. And I think we need to wrap it up now. <laughs> so um, anyway, so that was the month that was, there were two stories and it still took us 40 minutes to talk about it. Um, but, but they were two of, you know, two really great stories, two fascinating stories to hear. And um, for now, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank Cliff Thomas for joining us and talking about the month that was in the Doubting Thomas monthly recap. And also for all of his hard work behind the scenes, please consider subscribing to this podcast if you liked what you've heard. And if you really liked what you've heard, leave us a review. And by the way, if you do that and take a screenshot of it, send it to contest at benefitofadoubt.com, you might win yourself something too. And that's that contest is going on until the end of the month. So be sure to get your entry in but for now i'm going to thank you for listening and for giving us the benefit of the doubt